You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Friends, today we continue in our Godspeed series, as Holtz mentioned at the beginning of our worship. Each Sunday, both in our combined Sunday school class and here in worship, we have been asking ourselves how we might slow down to go Godspeed, something which involves both the pace at which we are living, but that also involves opening ourselves to God flourishing within and through us. That word, as you may have read in your bulletin, is an old English word which literally means may God flourish you. And when we adjust the pace of our lives, when we are more present to the places in which we live in our call to serve, when we are sure of our identity in Christ, we experience God's flourishing. Today, having visited those different points on our journey thus far, we sit with a new word, this word stability. So I invite you to continue listening now for a word from God as we turn our attention to verses from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, beginning with the 12th verse of the 12th chapter. Paul writes to the church saying, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, send your spirit once more that it would indeed be a lamp unto our feet. O God, take the words of my mouth the meditations of all of our hearts and use them to set us on a new course, to point us in the direction that you and you alone are leading. We pray these things, O oh God, because we know with you and you alone they are possible. For you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. It occurs to me that this word stability may very well be the least likely word most of us would have come to mind if asked to describe the state of our world. And for some of us, the state of our lives. All the headlines, they cry disruption, division, destabilization, destabilizing war and conflicts, destabilizing politics and politicians, 
destabilizing weather, especially this last week, destabilizing technology, chat GBT, that's all I hear about. Right, for so many of us, it is a lack of stability that comes with our lack of ability to afford even the most basic necessities that we need to live and thrive. So many experience a lack of stability in their inability to access affordable shelter or medicine or healthcare or even food. Disruptive diseases like depression and anxiety and addictive disorders are all on the rise, especially in the wake of COVID. The list, of course, can go on and on, but the point is the same. It is easy to talk about stability. It's a lot harder to achieve it. And it's not just individuals. It's also communities, including the church. There's a chart that I sometimes like to show, if for no other reason than to humor myself, that comes up in new member talks or in new officer training. It's a chart that diagrams all the different ways Presbyterians have divided themselves over the centuries here in the United States. Some of you may have seen this chart. On the left side, there's 1706, which is when the very first presbytery formed. And not long after that, you just begin to see all of these different branches weaving out like a spider web until you get to the right side, which is pretty close to today. And you find all of these different flavors of Presbyterianism in the United States. You got your EPCs and your ECOs. You got your PCAs and your PCUSAs. You got your Cumberlands and Orthodox and ARPs. It goes on and on. The whole thing looks like a bowl of spaghetti. And you look at this chart and you ask yourself, does this look like stability? I guess we can take some comfort in the fact that not just for the last 300 years of Presbyterianism in the United States, but for the last 2,000 years of Christendom itself, it is the absence of stability that has sadly been a primary mark of the church. And it was no different for the Corinthians to whom Paul is addressing this second reading we have just heard. The Corinthian church is divided over everything. They are divided over money, over leadership, over worship, over divorce, over who gets to eat first and who gets to eat last. You name it, and they are fighting about it. And Paul writes to them here. He spent the first 11 chapters basically taking the church in Corinth to task. And then he turns here in the 12th chapter to offer them a different model, a different way. And he begins here by saying to the Corinthians, you know what the true mark of Christian community is, folks? It is the unity of its members. And he has this beautiful image, which Kara talked with the children about this metaphor of the body. Look at the body, he says. It has all of these different parts. It's interesting to me that this image, this metaphor, would not have been a new one for the Corinthians, for that ancient audience. If you go back and read, you'll find that Josephus and other ancient historians and orators often invoked the image of the body to make a point. But when they did, what they were often invoking was the subjugation of one part of the body to another. 
Right, they might write to their audience saying, you know, if the hands and the feet don't go out and sow the fields and gather in the crops and move the water, then the head and the heart won't be able to survive. They'd use this metaphor to imply to the audience, you know, there are certain parts of the body that, well, like it or not, are a little more important than others. So get busy, others, so that those really important parts can be healthy and can thrive. But Paul's doing something different here, isn't he? Paul takes this image of the body and he says to the audience, all the parts, Jew or Greek, free or slave, a little bit later on in chapter 12, he'll also say rich or poor, male or female, east side, west side, member, Visitor, doesn't really matter, Paul says, where you live, what motorcycle you drive. (laughs) Doesn't matter who you love. Doesn't matter what you do. All the parts of the body, he says. All the parts are important. All the parts have equal value, equal weight. All the parts are worthy of respect and of love. And why? Well, isn't that obvious? Because in Christ, in Christ, Paul writes, we are one. If one member rejoices, then all the members rejoice. And if one member suffers, then all the members suffer. In a divisive and in a disruptive world, Paul tells the church, you, church, you are literally built and baptized to model a different way. Several years ago, uh, Ted Wardlaw, who is the now retired president of Austin Theological Seminary in Texas, wrote an article. And in this article, he recounted a presbytery meeting that he once went to years before when he was still serving as a pastor in Atlanta. I don't know if you all are familiar with that term. Presbytery is a, a term that refers to the regional body of Presbyterians in a certain area. So different leaders and elders from different congregations come together from time to time to do the work and the business of the church. And Wardlaw recalls that at this particular Presbytery meeting there in Atlanta, there was much fraction. There was much uh, disruption. There was much <sighs> anger. They spent their day coming up to the mic and debating these hotly contested issues. The tension seemed to rise with each passing vote until, as he wrote, the moment of liberation, the vote to adjourn, finally came. (laughs) Finally came late in the day. Here was this room full of people, many of whom had been going at each other for hours, casting angry looks across, hoping that that person will just see how mad they are at what they had to say. When the moment to adjourn finally came, 
the moderator of the presbytery that year, another pastor in the area as it happens, a man who Wardlaw said was steeped in a rich devotional life, slowly stepped to the microphone. And after a long silence, he invited the congregation to stand. And he prayed a prayer that was as simple as it was profound. The pastor at the end of that long day stepped to the microphone in front of his colleagues. And he prayed these words, Lord, he said, we are forever asking for many things. And what you are forever giving us instead is the gift of one another. Wardlaw said it was as if that moderator in the prayer was curling his toes over the edge of heaven itself. In that moment, he recounted, you could feel something like the kingdom breaking in to this oh-so-human setting. Lord, we are forever asking for many things, and what you are forever giving us instead is the gift of each other. Friends, when we practice stability, when we stick with people, yes, even that person, when we stick with a place, you know, I often tell visitors when they come to our church, especially those who are new to the community, I say, you know, go and visit other congregations and go where you are fed. Go where you feel God working on your heart. And my prayer, of course, is always that this place, this congregation might be that for you. But if it's not, that's okay. Go where you are fed because what God needs more than anything is for people to be committed to the place and the people that God has called them to, to be in a place where you allow yourself to be known and where you might come to know others, right? What we need, in other words, are people who will practice stability because when we do, and only when we do, can the kingdom of God really begin to break through the cracks of our hearts and be brought to bear for a world that is in such desperate need of it. I mean, isn't that how Jesus himself lived, folks? Jesus stuck with people, even people that, frankly, he probably didn't care to be around all that much. All of those too smart for their own good scribes all those erudite Pharisees, all of those constantly disappointing and bickering disciples. Jesus stuck with them. He chose to live deeply and openly and vulnerably. And in so doing, he gave people glimpses of what the kingdom really is. He gave people a foretaste, you might say, of that great banquet feast 
that one day all the members of Christ's body will be gathered around and eat freely and fully from. As the body of Christ, the church, we are called to do the same, right? To be people who show commitment, to be people who seek, however imperfectly, to show that grace. There's a wonderful moment in the video from our study this morning, the study that's tracking the same series that we are following here in our worship. And in the video, the speaker talks about how sometimes the only way we can really grow in our discipleship, grow in our walk with Jesus, grow in our own spiritual journey is to receive grace that we did not expect. And the only way we give ourselves opportunities to experience that grace is to practice stability to be in a place long enough that we allow others to know our brokenness and love us anyways, right? That's what the church is. That's what we are called to, to be these people who practice forbearance and acceptance and love, to be people who look at every one of our neighbors, to look at every person who we are in worship with here today in body and spirit and to see them as the gift the God-given gift that they are. But that's hard. And frankly, the only way we can possibly do that work is to start that work within ourselves. It's got to start here, doesn't it? Right? One cannot curl their toes over the edge of heaven unless one is first sure of the foundation on which they are standing. We have to be able to look in the mirror, folks, and to see the image reflected back at us, not as one that is distorted and disturbing, but rather as the gift, the gift that you are, that I am, that every one of us gathered here, the gift that God sees when God looks Upon us. Some of you may be wondering why in the world did we hear this passage before Corinthians from the very end of Luke, chapter 2? Those Bible scholars out there might recognize we're just finishing the Christmas story when we get to this woman named Anna. If you open your Bibles, you'll find all the familiar narrative. Jesus is born, the angels and shepherds, and then when he's old enough, his parents bring him to the temple for the rites, the traditional Jewish rites of a baby boy born. They bring him into the temple, and there's a man there named Simeon, and then we're told there's a prophet, a prophet named Anna. Anna, to me, is perhaps one of the best, if not most often overlooked examples of biblical stability. Anna is 84 years old. And Luke tells us in this brief glimpse at her life that she was widowed at a very young age. And now for what? 
60, 70 years, she has lived. She has lived at this temple, right? She has committed herself, in other words. She has committed herself to a people and to a place. Luke tells us that she is so committed that she worshiped with fasting and with prayer every single day and every single night. Any of you never left the sanctuary, just stuck around to see what might happen between 11 a.m. this Sunday and 11 a.m. next? That was Anna. Every single day for 70 years until one day Who walks in but Jesus himself there in his parents' arms? Who walks in but we might say the greatest gift that ever has been and ever will be? You know, Luke, Luke doesn't tell us what Anna prayed all those years. But personally, I imagine it might have sounded something like this. Lord, we are forever praying and asking for so many things. And what you are forever giving us instead is the gift of one another. Friends, may Anna's prayer be our prayer. And may God's answer to that prayer be something something like stability. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of Holy Spirit, the one who is the foundation at our feet, now and always. Amen.